Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. I'd like to introduce my guest, Tim Lauritsen. Tim is a longtime resident of the Anza Valley and hails from a family of 1950s homesteaders. He is known for growing native plants, building in a sustainable style, his volunteer work with the community, and his artistic talents. He also has hiked probably more trails than most. Welcome, Tim Lauridson. Well, I've been asked um, about some of the ramifications of putting yourself in a wilderness area where you can't just grab a, a product or a means in which to uh, make your experience compatible with that around you as opposed to being attacked by some wild critter. And um, part of that answer is to cleanse the body ahead of time on a long-term wilderness adventure with no alcohol, no caffeine, and neutralize the acidities and alkalis in the body so that the wildlife really don't pay much attention. It's, um, it's the alcohol and caffeine and, and so on, nicotines that really cause odor for the wild critters such as coyotes and dogs, and fear itself causes auric stench. And so in order to survive in the wilderness, none of that can exist. It's like climbing a rock face. No fear is allowed. Once you commit to climbing or hiking into the wilderness, you have to be prepared. And that is one of the ways in which to be compatible with your surroundings. And a very good lesson that but, we should apply and bring back with us in real life. In but it's just, life. it's contrary to cowboy lore where you're sitting eating chili around a campfire and drinking uh, coffee in a, in, a, in a camping percolator. Well, that's a whole different approach and I've been very experienced in both uh, hiking and riding um, and I can answer some of that. First, in cowboys, you've got large horses and guns and bigger fires and campfires and so on. Um, and the attitude is, uh, don't mess with me, kind of like, don't step on me like a rattlesnake. So uh, any sort of problem comes up if a mountain lion is growling off in the distance, which they wouldn't do in that situation, but if they were, one firing of a gun would scare them off and that would end it. So it's a whole different approach. And I have talked to people from the city who would never consider going into a wilderness area, even if it was protected and not allowed to be um, carrying a gun there, who would never go there without carrying a gun and be damned with the law and would shoot to kill if anything attacked. But that attitude is fear-based and that fear creates body odor which causes the problem to happen 
more more apt to happen. Hmm. So again, you get back to preparations for, and I think this is true in life as well. If you like to be amongst people, especially large crowds, you learn to behave and probably dress similar. If you don't, you get yourself in trouble. Same in the wilderness. Um, so one of the things that you mentioned was uh, the purification is to not eat uh, uh, meats, heavy meals, I guess, or, or heavy proteins and caffeine before you go hiking. And, and that's because it deters the mosquitoes and the other it, insects. It changes body odor. So, and if you're not accessing a shower, except maybe a solar bag and all of the soaps and, and whatever's to clean the body with, you don't have that. You use hot water from a solar bag, that's it. You might have some liquid soap, but when you're on in the wilderness, it's not like being at home in the in the shower or a bubble bath. It just doesn't, that doesn't exist. And uh, so as a result, everybody's chemistry is different. Um, but what I found was I, for at least a month ahead of time, uh, stopped ahead of time of knowing I would be in the wilderness I would stop coffee and I would stop um, eating I, I don't smoke so nicotine has never been a problem and that is a major problem I think for um, but the fear is the one thing one has to keep in mind the moment you go into fear you're causing, you're encouraging a problem. So um, that's the lesson. Right. So I'm just thinking, you know, when I'm in the garden and I've bathed and I've used lavender scented shampoos or something like that, I start attracting all the bees and all the other ones. So it's, so it's you know, even though you want to be clean, you really don't want to use a scented product, do you? No. and. Um, uh, some do are some are attracted by insects. Some of the critters are distracted by the smells. I use a liquid fence uh, to spray on plants to prevent them from being eaten. Certain types of plants in certain conditions called liquid fence, which is a rotten egg product. So you want to be sure you use it toward the end of the, your work period or at the end of the day because you're going to walk away smelling like it too. But uh, not just the odors and aromatics that exist, but also colors. You, you don't want to wear bright colors. I suppose if you're in a hunting situation, you might want to have a bright orange hat on, but that didn't help with Cheney and his lawyer. <laughs> okay. Uh, so uh, neutral colors, green and brown, of course. Um, and we did touch on the not just the colors of the clothing, but to um, to fit into your environment. <clears throat> uh, I did wear a green parka with a state park emblem on the shoulder, and I noticed uh, a number of campers who might not have set up quite along the regulations tended to disappear as I approached. Oh. <laughs> Tim making friends. <laughs> yes, but most people on the trail are actually very friendly and helpful. Um, we all have a common 
desire to reach our destination and we all help each other much more so on the wilderness trails than you would find in a parking lot. So speaking of the emblem on your shirt there, do you need to acquire a permit to go hiking in any of the areas locally? Uh, it depends on whether it's designated wilderness. Um, I recommend a Golden Pass, which can be purchased at the uh, Anza Electric Co-op and up at the Forest Service in Idlewild. And I believe also um, down at Stagecoach Inn, uh, you can get a day pass for $9, or you can get a Golden Pass for the entire year everywhere at any time state and federal parks? Uh, there is a golden pass that covers most of the parks because when you're hiking the Pacific Crest Trail you're going through a lot of Forest Service one district after another district which have different rules and regulations and there are some wilderness areas there are BLM and then there's Indian and so it's a complex maze but that's why I recommend a pass for all wilderness areas for the entire year. I think it was 50, it's probably more than that uh, nowadays, but if you plan to be out once a month for the year, a Golden Pass would save you money. Okay, but the average day hiker who's just going up Kawea Mountain or maybe Thomas Mountain, do they require any, any type of registration? Um, no, I don't believe so, but I can't I can't blatantly say no because um, parts of Kauia Mountain and Beauty Peak are wilderness designated and technically you should have uh, paid some type of fee to help maintain those trails. Uh, if those trails are maintained by volunteers, then the money goes to the organizing of it. Um, and just using the trails helps keep the trails open. If we stopped using trails they would disappear. This happened almost in 1980 when they came out with the big satellite dishes, the big eight-foot diameter metal dishes for satellite uh, signals. And people simply started, they just stayed home and they weren't out riding or hiking and the trails got overgrown and many of them were lost. So uh, we do maintain our trails just simply by using them they start with a deer or a cat following a deer and then or even rabbits. Um, Kauia Mountain trails um, were formed primarily by the wildlife uh, because of the springs. Um, on Kauia Mountain which is about two and a half mile hike up from the summit above Trip Flats two miles above and west of Trip Flats, there's the trailhead will carry you to the highest point, which is on the southern end overlooking Lake Riverside and Anza. The northern point of the mountain is 12 feet lower. So on the way to getting to the high point of Kauia, the trail lops over to the west side and drops and then levels at the spring and then climbs to the peak. It's a very pleasant trail. On the west side it still has lots of shade from oaks and tree and pine trees. Some of the meadows 
that existed um, 30 years ago are now tree filled and those tree forested areas are now gone in meadows all in 30 years mostly from bark beetle and drought and some fire uh, I think it was 92 that Kuya Mountain burned off the top and down a little bit down the east side of it but there are some manzanita forests on Kuya Mountain that make uh, it very difficult to get through um, even climbing under uh, it's thick in some places so the trail is well established and there are attempts to complete an established route up from Lake Riverside uh, and I have laid that trail out uh, for horses um, and it passes right above the um, old Williamson mine from 1962 that you can see the pilings from on the south slope near the rock face. It skirts, the trail will skirt right above that around the west side of the rock face. To get to the top you're not going to go up the rock face on a horse of course, you're going to be uh, around it. Um, but there's excellent uh, routes for rope and climbing, which I've done as well on the rock face of Kuwia and uh, suicide and talk eats as well, where I learned no fear is allowed once you begin your adventure. It's out of the question. It's not in the mind. Fear does not exist. It does wonders once you've completed your adventure and you come back to the real world. I think it makes one able to uh, navigate it easier. Building your confidence <clears throat> and... Um, yes, but then when we drive our cars and pass accidents, I think we lose that. I think you're right. So, but back on the trail, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful simplifications of how to live life and what is necessary and what isn't. Do we really need a refrigerator full of six-month-old radishes and relishes and mustards and stuff? You know, we don't really need that stuff. I don't think I want to see your refrigerator. <laughs> well, actually my refrigerator is pretty empty most of the time because I'm outdoors eating. That's one of the advantages of being a gardener, which is a wonderful subject because um, lots of people come to Anza, see a piece of land, uh, think good soil and good water, and buy some seeds and let the critters teach them how to build fences. However, today, gardening in Anza is a little more challenging than that. First off, you can't really grow in the ground like we used to 30 years ago. We have... Why is that? Well, <clears throat> Memorial Weekend. What? Say that again, Tim? The, the, the holiday? Cost, the reason why we cannot grow in the ground is Memorial Weekend. Think about it. Especially this year with all the wildflowers. We're going to have zillions of off-road motorcycles going out to see the flowers. And every single one of them will deliberately run over a snake. And that is when they come out looking for water. 
Therefore, hundreds of snakes will be killed off again this year, and we'll have thousands of more gophers as a result of it. Therefore, you cannot grow in the ground. Memorial Weekend. It's gophers. The first chain that broke here in the 70s because of this. And there are other chains that have broken too. The temperatures have climbed and allowing certain insects that we wouldn't normally have here uh, arrive and live here. We have birds that have followed the migrations. Um, and so there are a number of types of trees such as willow and pepper and redwood that never would have survived the summers of Anza. Maybe the peppers would, but the freezing in the winter um, is always the potential to chase certain varieties of insects and critters and trees that come with it back off this elevation, off this plateau, and the wind chills that come with that. Uh, when I look at the natural world and travel the immediate surrounding areas off the plateau, I find that's what the deer and the other wildlife do, is they get away from the cold winds off the plateau. They take a hike and they walk down the road until they drop off the edge where the warm Borrego breeze is, just, just a mile away from where most of us live. Um, and so they seem to, that's because they live with nature. We're inside living in spite of it and in our cars, so we don't know these things. Okay. So, but back to the gardening aspect yes. of not being able to grow in the ground, but that doesn't mean we can't grow in raised beds and well, more yes. controlled Yes, where, when I say gardening, I'm talking of vegetables primarily. Row crops. Uh, but yeah. of course, fruit trees would have to be protected with gopher baskets. Um, and uh, and so there, I, I don't want to exclusively um, end all in-ground vegetable gardens. It's possible, it's done, but you're gonna have to fight and protect uh, even the gopher purge plants I've had pulled down by gophers and watch the tops yes. of the plants disappear under my rows if those gophers are hungry enough. And then of course ground squirrels too. And keep in mind the price of gopher pellets has climbed from $39 to $63 a tub at our local hardware store. It has been priced out of range. It must contain a petroleum product or something, um, you know, some commodity that brings well, the price Well, it would up. be strychnine, most likely. Well, that's mixed not in. really a commodity. No, but for some reason the price has skyrocketed. So that means going back to gopher traps and target practice. Well, you know, Tim, I, um, I've been using uh, gopher stopper. It's a sour clover. Basically, it's a weed, but it was used in the 1920s and the 1930s in the orchards here in California. And they would spread it around the, the trees and grow it as a cover crop and then uh, cut it down like twice and use it as a fodder also for, for the livestock. And what happens is it grows a taproot that can go up to like eight feet down. And that taproot uh, contains, and I don't remember what the chemical uh, is, but it is a uh, anticoagulant and gophers are hemophiliacs. So they stay away from this root or if they happen to eat it, then they just bleed out. 
So it's it's got some of the chemical like a warfarin or, or something, yes. some, a, a natural chemical. Yeah, and I've been trying it in just in a small area in my yard, and mm-hmm. it seems to be working wherever I have the raised beds, and, and even though I put um, metal underneath to keep the gophers away, I've been planting around them also, and just have this, uh, this natural, organic I, way of hopefully keeping the gophers away. I've heard of it. I haven't tried that. I did plant gopher purge. I have primarily used Maccabee traps, which have to be managed quite extensively. But in order to eat your food from your garden, as opposed to feeding all the wild critters with it, you're going to have to learn how to trap and get smart. And it takes um, quite an effort and an initial investment, especially if you're doing raised beds. But I think in the long run, raised beds indoors will more likely be the way that we'll grow our food. Uh, Summers are simply becoming too hot and winter wind chills can um, limit the number of plants that you would grow that time of year. I have found the best vegetable gardens are grown in the fall into winter. The cold actually sweetens the food and makes it taste better when it's subject to hot and cold and wind. The vegetables are excellent and Anza is a wonderful place for that. Don't get me wrong, we need to plant lots of food here. Uh, And I'm delighted to see that eventually many of these greenhouses will be producing food or other products than what they were intended for. But the California plant uses Uh, by the native Indians is extensive and there are books on it. Uh, I have uh, one here called Robert Hetzer by Robert Hetzer and Albert Essner on the natural world of the California Indians and also um, the University of California Press uh, written by Edward Balls is early use of California plants so you can lay those and take a photo of them and share them with our listeners. All right. Uh, I, I would suggest driving down to Borrego Springs and going to the museum there on the west end of town and checking out the library. Um, many of the books there are oriented toward the lower desert, but since that terrain um, comes up and intermingles with our area at in the upper 3,000 foot elevations. Um, they're very useful to identify which plants could be used. I'm not to say though that we have eventually 20,000 people up here who all of a sudden are all gonna go look for needy food to eat. There wouldn't be much left. So uh, this is simply a hobby or supplemental or something of that nature. Uh, but it would help us to become more a part of nature and uh, gardens help bring us out into nature. And by the way, the people that have skin problems aren't the ones that are in the sun. They're the ones that prevent themselves 
from being in the sun or use skin coatings are the ones that get cancer. That's the okay. The statistics have shown that's the that sunscreen. We were we were we were taught to believe that the sun was injurious to us. Perhaps anything of great quantity would be, you know, strawberry shortcake eaten every day twenty times is going to be injurious. But the sun isn't. I've been out in it for fifty years, and I'm very light-skinned, blue-eyed, most vulnerable of all and I do not get skin cancer. Vitamin D3 helps. Yes. And it's free. <laughs> it is. Back to gardening. You're listening to K-O-I-T-L-P. 97.1 Anza. Are you or someone in your household on life support or other life-saving machinery like oxygen? If so, please contact the Anza Electric Cooperative Office at 951-763-4333 so that your account can be flagged. If your account is flagged, you will be contacted in advance of a planned outage. Since most power outages are unplanned, please be sure to have adequate backup on hand to last several hours. Sponsored by the Anza Electric Cooperative, the Anza Thimble Club presents a Victorian Tea and Fashion Show, May 11th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. The donation amount will be $12. It is located at the Anza Valley Christian Fellowship. That's 55180 Highway 371 in the tent behind Gilberto's Restaurant. That's the corner of Batista and 371, and you will enter on Batista. Come and enjoy a wonderful Victorian tea including hot blended tea, cucumber sandwich, turkey and cheese sandwich, strawberries and chantilly cream, chocolate raspberry tartlet, lemon tea cake, a meringue kiss, cookie butterball, and a cream scone. Doors open at 1 p.m. for social hour. Victorian tea will be served at 2 p.m. The fashion show starts at 2.30. At 3.30 p.m. we'll be shopping for fashions available for purchase. At 4 p.m. the drawings will be held. You must be present to win. There will be door prizes, six theme baskets, tickets available for $1 each or six for five. Buy your tickets at the tea. Call for tickets and info or see a thimble lady you know. Carol can be reached at 951 551-9623 and Annie can be reached at 760-519-6062. Again, that's a Victorian Tea and Fashion Show, May 11th. Welcome back to Fika with Anika. Back to gardening. Uh, I do wear a hat and protect my eyes, of course. Um, so um, I have planted some root vegetables and intend to catch gophers. I have caught 30 to 40 gophers in a month or so in my two acre and then usually don't have much of a problem. I think the problems this year this year will be ground squirrels and with the cost of uh, squirrel bait too expensive, 
we need to refine our skills at trapping and I think ground squirrels are an excellent uh, moving target. They are not natural to the area. The tree squirrel is, but it's a different species and much more intelligent. Ground squirrel is um, not natural and needs to be uh, reduced or removed. Um, or we will never have gardens. They'll climb any fence. They'll open up any gopher tunnel for their own use and they multiply in great numbers very quickly. And in March and April is the time to keep them under control. If you wait until May or June, there'll be hundreds and then it'll cost thousands of dollars. So now is the time in the spring to limit the numbers. 22, get a little pellet gun or something, you know? Well, you know, I'm not home most of the time, yes. uh, you know, working all day, and then That's when true. I get home, it's dark. Mm. So what I use is the um, Squirrelinator, yes. and I also invest in money uh, now. I got three of the Ratinators, and it is just a smaller mesh, same theory as the Prince Squirrelinator, mm -hmm. and um, because the pack rats have just invaded a any storage unit I have. Yes, um, they found water this year. That's and right, and, right. So I've been, you know, and I, uh, I find them, both of them, around my chicken coop, and so, uh, so that's that's what I've been doing is baiting those. And um, problem with uh, domestic cats is, you might wake up with a baby rabbit at your bedside, or if you have a cat door or something, mm -hmm. um, or the head of a critter. Uh, but you won't have as many lizards, which get the insects that protect the you know, plants. The lizards are very good to have around, and the horned toads eat a lot of insects. But with domestic cats, there goes the kangaroo rat. There goes a lot of this. Um, you see how domesticity and the wildness don't quite relate correctly. A lot of real estate agents say, just whack the rat, um, but they're too fast. Ground squirrels are a little too fast <laughs> yeah, for us to are. just go up there and whack it, even though I have with the end of the hose nozzle. I've gotten a few squirrels that way, trapped trying to get through a fence, but you know, this isn't really, uh, ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure here. You gotta build a proper fence and electrify it and then patrol it and uh, I know but you can't electrify against the the rodents um, you can electrify. rabbits rabbits and squirrels won't climb a fence if it's electric yeah and there, okay. it's just 12 volts uh, surges sent every couple three seconds kind of thing okay okay I just envision most of the, it's just a strand of wire going through right. that you know yeah, but maybe if, that's horses and, and yes, critters I'm the, thinking of. The, 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 it's to train horses from rubbing fences and pushing them and knocking them over and stuff um, but the problem with electrification is if you stumble out there to add your garbage to your compost or to grab a some berries for breakfast and it's still lit you're going to be wide awake <laughs> Um, but yes, berries, um, I've grown strawberries in, in quantity here in Anza, uh, and uh, I didn't have problems with gophers, 
the roots are very fine and the mycorrhizae communication in the root systems of plants um, were compatible because they only had strawberries. There wasn't anything else with the strawberries growing. However, the squirrels may be colorblind because I saw many a green berry get picked and, and then left as well as the red ripe berries half eaten. So squirrels can decimate uh, a garden in a very short order. They'll just pull up bean sprouts all the way down the road just for the fun of it. You know, that's interesting. I, um, I live in Awanga and I'm on DG, on uh, decomposed granite mostly. And uh, I've been trying to grow some of the native berries in addition to um, you know, uh, like raspberries and strawberries. I've had no luck with the uh, uh, raspberries in the ground. But uh, the ribes this year, the I have a ribes speciosa. It's a wild uh, gooseberry. And it's been in the ground for five years and was just kind of uh, struggling along. And this year it is just prolific. Wow. Obviously, I hadn't been watering it enough. Yeah. I have it situated underneath a red shank so it gets some shade. And um, I'm just hoping this year that I'll actually have a, a harvest of uh, gooseberries from wow. it. Because I planted yeah. gooseberries 40 years ago and I haven't picked a single one. I'm not saying they never produce any, but uh, hopefully, I have found though that because of the extended rains from February into March, there are uh, wild onions and other uh, edibles out there that are producing this year that you wouldn't normally see. Um, drought can really stop that um, but what's amazing is the wild flowers can be so prolific on just a couple of rains after sitting dormant for many years the smaller the seed the more more likely it will stay potent and last for years the larger the seeds the less so in vegetables uh, but um, things grow when they get water and heat yes. boy they grow and this nine, 2019 will be a perfect year my apricots have already bloomed and set now if I can just keep the squirrels from harvesting them that's right you know, an interesting thing about rain is uh, because I, you know, most people wonder. I water and I water with my well water, and it, you know the plants do fine. But once the rains come, and it just changes the 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 magic of the soil and everything. And it turns out that there's hydrogen peroxide in the, which is why the the smell of rain is is just from that. But, but that is, is what it gets added into the soil when the rains yeah. come I've versus it, just well water. I've heard that in summertime with a lot of thunder clouds and lightning, um, this process creates nitrogen. And so when you get those heavy thunder showers in the summer, you're getting fertilizer with it. And that's why all the wild grasses in September sprout. You can water them with your well water and nothing will happen. But boy, that, that's just what that I'm saying. First rain hits it. That's yeah. the nitrogen. Well, I actually think it's the hydrogen peroxide. Uh, hydrogen peroxide. Okay. Yes. Well, that might be the same story then, just different version I heard of it. <laughs> but it's true. Um, now, getting back to the watering, um, gardens here in Anza have to have ample mulch 
I'm talking a flake of hay worth. Then you'll have five times the volume of water reaching your plant, or the plant reaching the water, I should say, uh, before evaporation. The evaporation here is an average of 50% of the water that you put on your plants on the ground never reaches the plant. It evaporates. Either evaporates or percolates right through. I can percolate through sandy soils, yes, and before it gets a chance. But the root system isn't going to grow unless it knows there's moisture there. And right. so the second thing to mulch is the building of the soils up uh, so that they can hold moistures. Um, gee, the last few days there were five semi-truckloads full of topsoils and bags being yes. delivered there at Grassroots Hydroponics about block the highway there with so much delivery from a demand. So apparently there are going to be a lot of vegetable gardens and uh, growers indoor that uh, hopefully will be growing food and and bringing us. Do we still have the Friday at 5 o'clock surplus of gardeners? The crop swap starts in June. In June. Yeah, usually it's the first week of June. So uh, okay. Fridays, I believe, at 5 p.m. You see, summer gardens require more water and a lot of weeding yes. in ground. But in raised beds, it's doable. I mean, there are some where you have an established garden and you have uh, wind drift fencing and protection from the elements outside to help cut back on the amount of hours of labor uh, required to keep the weeds from taking over a crop. It's still worth the effort. In fact, many of those weeds were beautiful flowers before they dried. We called them wildflowers. So, right. all right. Yeah. Well, gardening is a wonderful adventure. You learn a lot. You can't really get a book on it. Uh, I mean, there are obviously books that'll tell you, but when it comes to Anza, I highly recommend partial shade or indoor raised container growing um, to cut back on the volume of water and the amount of weeds. Yes. And uh, just a, a mention on, on the mulching, I know that in my garden what I do is I use uh, uh, vegetative mulch on my, my food garden, but my native plants that I purposely plant, I put uh, rock mulch and put a layer of that uh, around the root system to, to help you know, warm warm it up. You know, when it yeah. when it's cold, and also to you know to reduce the evaporation. When we get buried with snow, the first thing to uh, melt the snow are the big rocks because they're right. radiating all that heat they've been right. gathering. But that's true in the gardens. Uh, compost piles often melt the snow right away because of the heat, and it doesn't take more than a couple inches of cut grass to become compressed by the soil and so hot that you can't even put your hand in it. Uh, well, love, they, some, they catch fire sometimes. Yeah. Those. Uh, I love building soils as much as I uh, do growing vegetables. I've been more successful at the soil piles than I have the vegetables, <laughs> however. Maybe <laughs> you should be growing mushrooms or, uh, <laughs> or bacteria. Well, actually, mushrooms would be an indoor-controlled uh, condition, of course. Um, because they're very vulnerable. Although I have seen extended springs in years ago where the wild mushrooms came up in various kinds. 
and uh, and would build these cities. Um, again, these root systems that communicate to their like plants through the new word is mycorrhizae is the communication much like our phones are communication yes. of information to the plant and to other plants around them as to whether they're compatible whether there's nutrients whether there's water there otherwise the root the plant knows enough not to go there if there's not enough nutrients or moisture and or if there's too much nitrogen a, a root won't grow in there so it's very important to keep um, quantities correct in soil building. I, I really enjoy that. And composting uh, household garbage really adds a lot of vitamins to the soils. Uh, people have a tendency to add the, the nutrients to the top of the soil and let the water do the work as the plant grows. I prefer to start six months ahead and let the moisture in the earth and the worms in the earth help balance the soil's condition before I put the plants. Uh, so in a garden, you have three piles, one for each season, and you're, already, you're taking from and adding to that area uh, depending on the harvest and the leftovers. So three pile system is, is the way to go. And, and a pyramid or I do a volcano kind of thing and let the additives fall down the side rather than go to the trouble of mixing it in a you know, wheelbarrow or something. Uh, but time does wonders, especially if you throw some worms on it. And after ANZUS come through a number of drought years, we really do need to replenish <coughs> the worms in the soils. Uh, we lost so much to um, uh, long-term droughts. I've seen this area be called high country after a number of green years in the 60s and wet years in the 60s and 70s and then drought would come for six years and then we call it high desert because it looks like it. Right. So So I just wanted to comment on, on the worm situation in the garden when you're saying that we need to replenish the worms. One thing I find is, is that people uh, will use horse manure and not realizing that if you uh, treat your horse monthly for worms with ivermectin, then that goes into the manure and the ivermectin will kill the earthworms. So you have to make sure that if you're getting from your neighbor, wherever you're getting your, your stash of, of manure, to please ask them you know, to, to keep it separate when they do uh, worm their horses. Well, I think most gardeners uh, have already reasoned uh, that to garden is a way to get around the chemicals. Um, Roundup is certainly um, a, a no-no especially on vegetables and soil building. I would never use Roundup when you can use vinegar and Epsom salt and dish soap a lot cheaper and works just as Mixed well. Mixed together or yes, separate? Yes, okay. and it works, especially on seedlings. But when it comes to um, the garden itself, um, composting and organics is really a key point and uh, throwing 
um, bags of inorganics uh, beyond the 15-15-15 ratio, which is only ref in most fertilizers that refer to nitrogen, potassium, and potash, um, we really need more than just those three. And that's what you get from composting, especially ki a kitchen waste, is you get all kinds of vitamin A and B and C and D. And why uh, we don't get as many vitamins in our diet from commercially grown food, but it's also because we're wearing rubber-soled shoes that prevent us from absorbing these vitamins that are in the soil if we're wearing rubber shoes that protect our feet from absorption of vitamins in, in the dirt, new studies have shown. So, <clears throat> it, it, my are you best, talking, are you I'm talking about doing your gardening barefoot, maybe. What's that about the grounding and, and just being a ton? Oh, or, uh, or is that separate? Well, obviously no, that's it's a, a different that's, thing. That's an energy force. Yeah. You're talking about actually absorbing... Actually absorbing vitamin A, B, and C, and vitamins from the earth into your body through the bottom of your feet. The moment you remove all the rubber latex coatings that we protect our feet with, we've overprotected our bodies. And that's why when you go to the beach and you walk in the sand, it feels so wonderful. Well, that's because they've been starved. You see, incubated in these rubber boots and shoes oh that we wear. And that's only happened for the last 60 years. For thousands of years, we've done very well gardening in bare feet and hiking and walking in bare feet. I mean, that's this right. is, yeah. yeah. So history-wise, our culture has really tried to prove improvements which aren't turning out to be quite so improvement. <laughs> um, back to basics. Back to basics. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just have this vision of sitting with my girlfriends and we we're, we're have our feet kind of like in a mug bath and just enjoying like a, a pedicure day with yes. the girls, but yeah. absorbing all stuff from, from the soil. Um, yeah, you can do that at Glen Ivy. Yeah, yeah. And get mud all over you. Right. I think some of us did in February. Nothing wrong with it, though. <laughs> My car did. My car got stuck in That's mud. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Tim. It's All a pleasure right. as always. I look forward to our next uh, interview. Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fika with Anika. Tune in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and a replay on Sundays at 1 p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests, please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put FICA in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.